Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Thank goodness for spring break. I... (laughs) Wow, I need a mental break. School has been rocking my world in the in just crazy busy schedules. So to all of you that have a spring break coming up, congratulations. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Scandal 101. I read this interesting article in terms of scandal updates recently. I saw in Iowa, home state, AO shout out, that the state of Iowa is settling with eight men who complained that they were secretly photographed by a male colleague in a restroom over 18 years. Like, this was happening for a period of 18 years, which is just ridiculous. The claims for the eight men range between 70000 and 200000 so it's like about a million dollars in total. The world would be a lot simpler if people were nice to each other and people weren't gross. But that's not the world we live in, and that's not what this podcast is about, clearly. (laughs) So, oh, yes. In terms of scandal updates, I really haven't been looking a ton just because of school being busy, but of course, the conflict with Ukraine, well, not with Ukraine, but Russia invading Ukraine and all that BS that's going on. It's just ridiculous. And then the last thing <laughs> I've seen on Twitter and a lot of places recently is people are like, damn you, Biden, our gas prices are so high. It's like, do you know how gas prices are determined? Fuel is a global economy. There are countries where gas is six, seven, eight dollars a gallon. It's not it. <sighs> and also the fuel that is Um, or the oil that is extracted from the United States is a different kind of oil than a lot of the United States uses. So if you're going to complain about high gas prices, at least know what you're complaining about because just blaming it on the president, no matter who the president is, that's not accurate. Like, whatever. Just be informed. It's not that hard. (sighs) Okay. Welcome to Scandal 101. (laughs) Know what you're talking about. Be nice to others and don't be an asshole, and you'll probably be okay in life. Alrighty, my sources for this episode, an article by AMC called The Fixers of Hollywood, an article by T. Blust from 2017 from Historic True Crime, an article by K. Dowd from 2021 from the San Francisco Gate titled The Tangled Tale of Jean Harlow, Her Dead Husband and a Woman Found Drowned in Sacramento, an article by A. Gordon, called The Mysterious Death of Paul Byrne, a Times article from 1932 back in the time that was digitized, and then a really, really good article by Jamie Rubio, and it's titled A Forgotten Wife, A Hollywood Homicide, and an Unsolved Mystery. This source is just so well written. It's super good at telling the story. It also fills in some gaps in the information that other sources lack or that some have but some don't it provides a clear tale of what happened so definitely shout out to jamie rubio for your well-written article 
Alrighty, and on that note, those are the sources I used, and of course those are linked in the show notes, and you can find them on the show website, Um, but you saw the title when you clicked on this episode. This is Hollywood Scandal, Jean Harlow and Her Husband's Mysterious Death. Our story starts and kind of ends on September 5th, 1932. The place is Easton Drive in Beverly Hills, California. There's mansions, there's big houses, you you get it, you picture it. Rich Hollywood, California area. These houses, uh, they did back then, they do now. They have a lot of people working inside of them, cooks, butlers, cleaners, etc. In one mansion, even though that there's often all these people, there's a kind of stillness in the air. And that stillness is in place until a butler goes into the master bedroom. Once there, the butler finds a horrific scene. The butler finds Paul Byrne, an MGM executive, dead on the bathroom floor. Paul's body had a bullet in his head. He was laying in front of a mirror, and strangely, Paul's body was covered in his wife's favorite perfume. Who was Paul Byrne's wife? Paul Byrne's wife was legendary Hollywood actress Jean Harlow. In a note found with his body, it said the following, quote, Dearest dear, unfortunately, this is the only way to make good the frightful wrong I have done to you and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you, Paul. You understand that last night was only a comedy, end quote. This death, it was quickly ruled a suicide by authorities, but despite this ruling, questions and legitimate concerns about what actually happened still remain to this day. I'm going to give you some of the facts, I'm going to give you some theories, and you can decide what you think really happened to Paul Byrne in the hills of Beverly Hills. (laughs) The hills of Beverly Hills, Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. Looking at the person who was lying dead on the bathroom floor is Paul Byrne, and Paul Byrne was born on December 3rd, 1889 in Germany, and he was around 9 years old when his family moved to New York City. He finished school, and when he was done with school in the Manhattan area, he moved to Hollywood in the 1920s. Once he was in Hollywood, he started out as a film editor, and he worked his way up the scale, he became a scenario writer, and he even directed for United Artists and Paramount. Clearly, he was pretty skilled because pretty soon he was working for one of the biggest film studios at the time, MGM. Not only was Paul talented in all things the film industry, but he was beloved by many. The reason why he was beloved is he wasn't like well-known for having affairs with many women, which was pretty common in Hollywood back in the day, especially with Big Shot high up executives, but rather he was known for being friendly and for his platonic friendship. He was apparently hypersensitive and he had sympathy for many of the unfortunate situations that celebrities often found themselves in. And just an example of this, he was summoned to the bedsides of dying celebrities such as Barbara LaMare and Mabel Normand, and he became known as the Little Confessor of Hollywood. And the reason I say that is just because When you think about the person that you want on your bedside before you die, you would probably want it to be someone who's a close friend, a close family, someone who's going to be comforting. And Paul was that person to at least two celebrities, maybe more. So I think that just says a lot about his character and his overall vibe as just kind of like a comforting friend. 
In terms of what Paul looked like, and of course I'll post pictures of all these people on social media, Paul was an average looking guy. He had a nice smile, he had kind of a receding hairline, but he still had some hair on his head, kind of an average build. If I were to say, describe what you think a man with a mustache from the 1920s or 1930s would look like, you could probably come up with an image in your head. It's just, yeah, an average guy wearing a suit, doing his thing. Nothing really standout-ish in terms of handsome, but nothing really standout-ish in terms of not handsome either, just average run-of-the-mill guy. And it was because of his average looks that a lot of people didn't understand why someone such as Jean Harlow would end up with him. Jean Harlow, she was born as Harleen Harlow Carpenter in Kansas City, Missouri, AO, in 1911. She eventually started going by Jean Harlow, and Jean was her mother's maiden knight. Name, whoa, her mother's maiden name, so that's where she got that from. Her father was a dentist, and her mother was a homemaker. Their, her parents, they had an unhappy marriage. They divorced when Jean was 11. Jean was an only child, so she grew pretty close to her mother. But her mother was overprotective, and her mother did something that all good mothers try to do. Force their dreams on their children. Jean's mother had tried to make it in Hollywood, but she didn't and couldn't, so of course she's like, oh my goodness, I have this beautiful little daughter, let me live vicariously through her. And it's like, listen lady, if your daughter wants to go to Hollywood or try to be an actress, like let her make that decision, don't force it on your kid. It's like parents who force their kids into dance when they're like three and make them do it all the way through high school. It's like, did you let your child choose to do dance or did you ever give your child the chance to reflect on if they really like doing dance or if they're just doing it because you want them to do it? Let your kids try things out when they're little, but like let them choose if they like it or not. Don't make them do it just because you want them to do it. I guess the only thing I'll, (laughs) the only exception I'll say is swimming. I think everyone should have to learn how to swim, good useful skill, but dancing, karate, music, like all of those things, let the kid choose it or like encourage them to try it. And if they don't like it, okay, who cares? <laughs> They're a kid. Hmm. Anyway, um, even though she seemingly was kind of forced into Hollywood, she grew successful and grew pretty quickly. She started off with smaller roles and eventually was signed as a, quote, swanky blonde, end quote, in a Laurel and Hardy short. And just for reference, her hair was platinum blonde and bright. Like, whenever you see people's hair, you're like, oh, how did that not fall off your scalp? Yes, that was her hair. And not only on top of her having this, like, bright, noticeable, memorable hair, she was absolutely beautiful. She had a feature role in the 1930 film Hell's Angels and then later appeared in The Public Enemy, which was one of the top box office films of 1931. So she was killing the game. She had hair that was just like iconic. She was good looking. So Hollywood was meant for her. And I saw in some sources that they described her as an earlier Marilyn Monroe because of her blonde hair, her plunging neckline, and the nickname that the press gave her, Sexquisite. Thank you so much. Sexquisite. What a perfect... (laughs) Interesting. Okay. She was beautiful, this successful actress, and remember Paul, 
Even though he's kind of average looking, he's not bad looking, and he's also this high up executive with MGM. He was smart, he was well connected in the industry, and eventually Paul convinced MGM to contract with Gene to work for the studio, believing that Gene was a serious actor and that she would do well with MGM. A lot of people think that this is why the couple got together, and it kind of makes sense because from Gene's perspective, this guy isn't bad looking, he's well connected, he can get me going places. And for Paul, she was a successful actress, she was beautiful, she was going to help the studio. Even if there was love there, it seemed kind of like a mutually beneficial relationship. Was there really love there? Was it more because of the benefits one could provide for each other? Who really knows? But a lot of people speculate that it was each of the person's position and power that the other one craved and that the other one wanted, so that's why they got together. So they got together, they dated for a short period, and then they got married in 1932. And all was well for about two months, because about two months after they were married, Paul's body was found. Let's talk about what led up to that moment. Paul and Jean's marriage, it wasn't perfect. You know, no, ma no marriage is perfect, and they certainly had their issues. After Paul's death, it started to come out that he apparently suffered from, quote, physical infirmity, end quote, or in not weird medical terms, he wasn't able to get an erection and to like sexually satisfy his wife. And the weird thing about that is it came out after his death and there had been no reports of that happening with his past partners. So we'll talk more about that later, but that was something that came out after his death. But another issue that came out and perhaps the biggest part of the story is something that is frowned upon today, and so you know it was, like, so scandalous back then. Paul had a second wife. Kind of. And a lot of this next information, again, I just want to shout out Jamie Rubio's article. She did so much research on this aspect, so that's where a lot of this information is coming from. Paul's second wife, which really is his first wife, was named Dorothy Millette. There's some debate on when and where Dorothy is from when she was born, but Jamie's research shows that she was born in France in 1895. Her tombstone, it says that she was born in 1886, and articles say that she was born in different Midwest states, such as Indiana, Illinois, but, the, but Jamie's article, it cites ancestry websites that track where she was born, and it tracks it back to France rather than the United States. And you're probably thinking, who cares? She was born, she was alive. But the reason I point this out is because there is a lot of mystery and misconceptions about Dorothy, and it's not as simple as, if you've heard the story before, it's not as simple as a lot of people make it out to be. So I just want to make it clear that there's a lot of information out there about Dorothy that people have drawn conclusion conclusions from, that people have assumed, and it's when you look at the facts, you can't assume it. So right off the bat, there's a lot of misconceptions about where she's from, where she's born. She's not from the United States. She is from France. How Paul and Dorothy met is they met in Toronto. I don't really know how they met, but they met when they were in Toronto together at some point, and they later lived together in New York City. They started having a relationship around 1911, and it continued well into the 1920s. And even the 1920 census showed that Paul and Dorothy were man and wife living at the Algon... The Algo... Oh boy. Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, I think that's how you say it. 
the reason why I say kind of married is they were common law husband and wife. They never had a marriage ceremony. They never like went to a church or the courthouse or whatever, but they were common law man and wife. So they were kind of married. Common law marriage, way more common back then. Even a common law marriage back then was like, yep, you're married, Gucci gang. So having a second wife, not so good. Another thing about Dorothy that is heavily debated is her mental state in the 1920s. It has been reported that she started showing signs of mental illness and eventually went to the Blythewood Sanitarium in Greenwich, Connecticut. Part of the reason why there's so much debate over this is that the records at this sanitarium were apparently lost, so there's no official record as to why she went, how long she went, what she went for. There are rumors that she struggled with addiction. There are rumors that she had different mental illnesses. No one really knows for sure. And it's also confusing because the hotel that Paul and Dorothy lived at, and then eventually Dorothy lived there by herself, it's confusing because the hotel staff that worked there, they said that she was never committed to the sanitarium, but rather she just went there to get treatment for addiction, but she never like lived there. Another reason why I point this out is because so many narratives of this story is that she had mental illness done, but no one can say that for sure because there is no record ever. There's no record out there by anybody saying that she had this mental illness or she struggled with this addiction. She had... There's nothing. There's no official record. There's been no statements from people who were there at the sanitarium at the time. There's conflicting reports on even if she went. So it seems like she did go at some point. But why she went, how long she went, if she got treatment, if she was diagnosed with, no one knows. So keep in mind that going forward is that she did go to this place for something to write it off as she had a mental illness, it's oversimplifying and it's also just assuming something that you cannot prove, you cannot back up. <laughs> I just emphasize that because so many misconceptions about this story and it's also a big thing, I think, of just writing off people with mental illness. We don't even know if she had mental illness, but people still write it off that she did. So she eventually went back to this hotel and or she was there the whole time, who knows, but she went back to living at this hotel, and during this time, Paul had been paying for all of her expenses. Even though Paul had moved to Hollywood in the 1920s, he was still sending her money. He would visit her in New York whenever he was in town, so even though they lived on opposite sides of the country, it kind of seemed like they were still together. And this arrangement, Paul paying for Dorothy's expenses, it continued when Paul and Jean started dating and got married. Obviously, if you're married to a very, very successful Hollywood actress, you're this high MGM executive, being married, having a second wife, or not being married, but being married to two different people is going to be a scandal in itself. But if you're going to tie this potentially ment mentally ill woman to this person, now the narrative is this successful actress was cheated on by a man who chose a woman with a mental illness over this successful Hollywood actress. So presumably, her career would end, his career would end, it would just be a whole debacle. So at this point in the story, Paul and Jean, they're married, they're living in Hollywood in Beverly Hills. Dorothy is living in New York City, 
and Paul has been financially supporting Dorothy since he moved to Beverly Hills. We know that Paul ends up dead in the bathroom. Let's talk about other stuff that we do know for sure, and then we'll dive into the theories of what happened. Police quickly ruled it a suicide, but why? After Paul's body was found, the police were not the first call. Rather, the first call was to MGM and their executives. Their executives and their fixers, they ran to the scene, and the MGM fixers were there for about two hours before the police were called. No one really knows what happened in those two hours other than those two hours, there were people from MGM there, and there were no people from the police. These fixers, they were known to handle drama, they were known to handle scandals, and apparently they were known to even handle murders to ensure that it didn't reflect badly on the studio. Justice, finding out what actually happened, who cares? Just as long as the studio doesn't look bad, it'll be fine. What? (laughs) So the reason why this case is so mysterious is no one really knows what happened, but the fact that MGM fixers were there for two hours before police showed up. What did they touch? What did they get rid of? What did they plant? Who knows? And part of the reason why they went, I mean, not justifying what they did is, remember, Paul is a high-up MGM executive, or was, and Jean is this successful, beautiful, blonde MGM actress. They can't lose out on their investment in Jean. So whatever happened here, whether it truly was a suicide, whether something else happened, they need to make sure that... Whatever the police come out with, it doesn't reflect badly on their studio. After police did eventually come to the house, they started looking around, they started investigating, and they started interviewing the people in the house. This was kind of like we talked about at the beginning, the cook, butler, cleaning service, you know, people had all these people living in and on the grounds of the house. When they started interviewing people, they talked to the cook, and the cook told police something interesting. The cook had seen an unknown woman, so not Jean, on the grounds of the house, and she also found two empty wine glasses, as well as a bathing suit that was not Jean's size near the table by the pool. The couple's gardener, they let the police know that Jean and Paul's marriage, it wasn't idyllic, and it wasn't all that MGM portrayed it to be. MGM was putting them up as like this beautiful Hollywood couple, but the gardener was like, yeah, I don't really know about that. The gardener also said that he had never heard Paul Byrne talk about anything relating to self-harm or to suicide, which again, some people don't talk about it. So take that with a grain of salt. Police investigated or interviewed with the neighbors and the neighbors apparently heard an argument between two people that day. A fact that is also known is that Jean was apparently not at the house the night that Paul allegedly committed suicide. Jean said that she had been at the house when Paul was alive and that they, that Paul and her had dinner together, but then that she had gone to her mother's house. And the reason for going to her mother's house was her stepdad, her mother's husband, was going away to go fishing and her mother wasn't wanting to be alone. So Jean was like, heck yeah, family time, living, laughing, and loving. Jean also said that Paul called Jean at her mother's house because Paul was originally supposed to come, 
But then he said he had a headache. Some reports say that he was like, nah, I gotta read scripts, I'm too busy. So for whatever reason, he decided to stay home. Guess who also comes into the picture? Dorothy. Dorothy was not in New York where she had lived and stayed for a very long time. Rather, she was in San Francisco. Letters on MGM stationery sent between Paul and Dorothy talked about how Dorothy had planned a vacation for San Francisco. Paul had apparently paid for her to come to San Francisco for a vacation, and she had been living there in a hotel for about four months. We also know that shortly after Paul's death was announced on the radio, Dorothy left her hotel room and bought a ticket for the Delta King Riverboat. This was on September 6, 1932, the day after Paul's body was found. On the boat, it was said that Dorothy was crying. There was a witness that said that, yeah, she was really upset. She was just kind of staring off the boat into the distance. And a few hours later, a crew member was doing rounds on the boat and found a woman's coat and shoes on the deck, but nothing else. And when people got off the boat the next morning, Dorothy didn't get off the boat. Her body was found a few days later in the river. After Dorothy's body was found, people were investigating. They went back to the hotel room, and her room had apparently been ransacked, and a swim cap was found that matched the swimsuit that was found at Paul's house. And again, the swimsuit found at Paul's house wasn't Jean's size, and the cook had said, yeah, I saw a woman that I had never seen before. And what we also know is after Paul's death and funeral, Jean got married pretty quickly in an arranged marriage by MGM to cinematographer Hal Rawson in 1933, but they divorced less than a year later. Jean remained a successful actress, but during the filming of Saratoga in 1937, she, feel, she fell ill. She had health issues and doctors realized that her kidneys were failing. She died of kidney failure on June 7th, 1937, at the age of 26, so so young. And up until the day she died, she never publicly spoke about Paul's death. Alright, let's talk about these theories. And these theories are presented with the information that is most commonly found out there. You could derive a million theories with how much information is out there, but... These are based on the articles I read and also just the information that is commonly found. So the first theory is that Paul shot himself and died by suicide. And the reason why it's the simplest theory is because it was a gunshot wound to the head. He was found by himself. Good to go. People believe this because he was apparently upset that he couldn't sexually perform with his wife. People were like, eh, he wasn't that good looking, so maybe that had something to do with it. But it doesn't make a lot of sense, and here's why. He was not depressed, and he had never shown any suicidal tendencies, which, granted, people don't always have to show suicidal tendencies, but there was no mention, no record of him at all, any worry about him being suicidal. He seemed happy with Gene, he seemed happy with his life, he was successful, Again, the caveat, people can be successful and not be happy, but everyone who knew him was kind of like, I mean, he seemed happy, he loved his wife, so I don't really know what was going on. Another thing that came out is the rumor or the reports about him not being able to sexually perform with his wife, he had been with other people before, and those complaints had never been brought up. In fact, he was with Dorothy for at least nine years, 
when they were in New York together and there was never any issues. So people are like, if this was a real issue, we probably would have heard about it before. And a lot of people who don't think he committed suicide think that that was made up after he died because again, that rumor, that report, whatever you want to call it, it came out after he died and people think it was made up to justify why he would have committed suicide. A second theory is that it wasn't suicide, but it was murder and that he was murdered by Dorothy. As we know, Dorothy, she had been living in San Francisco and the trip was being paid for by Paul. She was living in that hotel. It was reported in some by some people that Dorothy was apparently up in Los Angeles that weekend and that she was visiting with Paul. And so people are like, okay, yeah, she was mentally ill. She went up to visit Paul for whatever reason and she killed him. But this theory also doesn't make a lot of sense because, as we've said, there is no official record stating that she had a mental illness, that she suffered from any mental illness. She went to a sanitarium. That doesn't mean she was diagnosed with anything. That doesn't mean she suffered from any mental illness. And further, Paul was still paying for everything that Dorothy was having. He paid for her trip to San Francisco. He was paying for her things in New York City. So what motive would Dorothy have for killing Paul, someone who is still nice, pays for everything, and is all around seemingly a good person? It doesn't make sense she had no motivation to kill him. This theory is also furthered by the fact that she jumped off the boat, apparently jumped off the boat, and was found in the river the day after Paul's body was found. People who believe this theory, they think that, okay, she jumped over the boat, or over the side of the boat, she killed herself out of guilt for killing Paul. But I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then also, in some reports, there are theories about Dorothy didn't kill herself, but rather she was thrown overboard by MGM's fixers to ensure that Dorothy could never talk about what actually happened. And that leads us into our third theory, is that what actually happened is that Jean killed Paul. And Jean is this famous Hollywood actress. Woohoo, love, go Jean, maybe. We know for sure that Dorothy was in San Francisco. Perhaps Dorothy came up, was, vid- was visiting with Paul, and Paul was supposed to go with Jean to Jean's mother house, Jean's mother's house, but we know, and it's fact, that Jean was at her mother's house and Paul called and for whatever reason gave an excuse and could not come. The theory goes that perhaps Jean was suspicious, maybe she went back to the house and she found Dorothy and Paul together at the house doing whatever. This theory is believed for a few reasons. One, Paul usually kept his gun, the gun that he was shot with, in his coat pocket. And he wasn't wearing his coat when his body was found. He was completely naked. But again, the caveat to that is he could have just taken his gun and shot himself and didn't have to wear the coat. But anyway, that aside, if he didn't kill himself, how would Dorothy, someone who presumably had never been to his house, how would Dorothy know where Paul kept his gun? That would be something that Jean would know, the person who lives in the house, the person that he is currently married to. The second reason why this is believed is that workers who were on the property, who lived on the property, they apparently heard a gunshot and then they heard a scream right after. Obviously, if you kill yourself, you cannot scream because you're dead. If Dorothy had killed Paul, why would she scream after she shot the gun? 
Presumably, if you're going to murder someone, you're going to shoot them and then you're going to be quiet. Wouldn't it make more sense if all three of them were there, Paul, Dorothy, and Jean, and Paul was shot by one of them, and then the other non-shooting person screamed when Paul was shot? Going with his theory, the theory is that Jean came to the house, found Dorothy and Paul, Jean got mad, went and grabbed Paul's gun, and then shot Paul in the head, and of course, Dorothy seeing this, screamed and then ran. And her running makes sense because this swimsuit was found by the pool and it wasn't Jean's. So if Dorothy and Paul, they were together at the swimming pool, perhaps they were skinny dipping, perhaps they had taken off their swimsuits and changed into robes or whatever, and then Jean came back, started to get furious. If Jean did kill Paul, Dorothy wouldn't have thought to be like, oh, this woman just killed Paul, I need to go grab my swimsuit. No. If you saw a murder, you're going to run out of there. If Jean killed Paul, Dorothy runs out, accidentally leaves her swimsuit, that's why the swimsuit is found by the pool. Regardless of if the swimsuit is Dorothy's, which at this point, who else's could it be? It's most likely Dorothy's. It, we know it's not Jean's swimming suit because it's not her size. And then the theory goes that after Dorothy ran, she was distraught over seeing someone that she presumably loved, was taken care of by a long time, get murdered in front of her. And then so she went to the boat and threw herself overboard and died. At the end of the day, no one is ever really going to know what happened. Paul was found dead. Dorothy ended up dead in a river. And Jean died just a few years after Paul's death, having never publicly spoken about Paul's death. Was it suicide? Was it a killing from a potentially mentally ill woman? Or was it a killing by a jealous woman who found out that she was being cheated on and had a lot to lose if this came out? Because we will never know, that concludes Hollywood scandal, Jean Harlow and her husband's mysterious death. I really don't know what to think about this one because it seems like the simplest answer is that Paul committed suicide. But when you look at all the facts, him being potentially unable to sexually satisfy his wife doesn't make a lot of sense because that was never said until after his death. The fact that police were not called for two hours and there were MGM fixers there, presumably trying to protect the reputation of the studio, it just leaves a lot of opportunity for things to have been misplaced or put there to mislead the investigators. It doesn't make a lot of sense. In terms of Dorothy killing Paul, I don't think that makes a lot of sense either because Paul was taking care of her, Paul was paying for things, Paul was seemingly a nice person. What motive would she have had to kill? The one that makes the most sense to me is that Jean Harlow killed Paul, but again, what motive? Maybe that she found out Paul was cheating on her and she knew that this would ruin her career, so maybe she murdered Paul in front of Dorothy, Dorothy ran, and then the fixers were called to make it look like a suicide. It makes the most sense to me, but it also at the same time still has a couple holes in the theory. I, yeah, this case is just super interesting. I'm curious to see what you think. I don't know. A lot of things I read online and the reason, okay, so the reason why I made such a big deal out of this is that the people who don't 
believe it to be suicide automatically assume that he was killed by Dorothy who was mentally ill. But again, there's no evidence of that and there's no motivation for Dorothy to kill based on everything that's come out. So I don't think it's safe to just quickly go to someone who was deemed mentally ill because maybe she wasn't. Alrighty, so in terms of a personal scandal, I honestly can't remember if I've read this one or not, but I'm going to read it, and if you've heard it, cool. So someone sent this in. In high school, the girls' basketball coach got outed for being a little too hands-on with his players. Nobody believed the girls. He had a good reputation in the community before this until one girl got it on film. Then people started believing the other girls' stories. He was fired, and one of the girls' parents sued the school district and won around seven figures. Good riddance. Also, believe people about sexual assault. Oh, there are false claims. Yeah, there are false claims about sexual assault, but also not that many. Most of the claims of sexual assault are legitimate, and also sexual assault is one of the most underreported crimes and offenses ever. So if someone is telling you, this person is gross, this person assaulted me, this person is being too handsy, look into it because best case scenario, it's some horrible, horrible misunderstanding that both parties had misunderstandings about what each other was comfortable with. And that's the best case scenario. The It goes all downhill from there. So <laughs> please believe people when they say they have been a victim of sexual assault, sexual violence, because they probably have. And it takes a lot of guts to speak up and even say that. So don't put people in back into the shadows and being like, eh, you're probably lying. No, don't do that. Alrighty, and on that positive note, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was super interesting uh, researching it and figuring it all out. It was it was kind of crazy, honestly, researching it. There's so many theories, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you would like to stay up with the latest, follow on social media. I'm going to post pictures related to this case on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast. You'll find us there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com. And then if you have your own personal scandal that you want, read on the podcast, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Alrighty, thank you so much for listening. I hope if you have spring break coming up, you enjoy it. I'm definitely going to enjoy mine. Thank you so much. This has been episode 43 of Scandal 101.